Hello, and welcome to Innovators Can Laugh with Eric Melcher. Eric is a social entrepreneur, marketing geek for a tech startup, an American expat living in Romania, and a mediocre tennis player. Admiring the drive and vision of entrepreneurs everywhere, Eric dives into the interesting and fascinating stories of innovators from Eastern Europe. Here now is your host, Eric Melcher. Hi, everyone. I hope you are all doing well and enjoying the nice weather we're having here in Bucharest. This past weekend, I went to a beautiful park called Mogoshwara with my family, and we met Ciprian Kazaku there with his kids. And if that name rings a bell, Ciprian was a former guest on the show and is the co-founder of Easy Sales. So big thanks to him for recommending that awesome park. And if you have any recommendations on places that I should visit here or near Bucharest, please let me know on the Innovators Can Laugh Facebook page or group. So I want to experience all the hidden gems that Romania has to offer, but that can only be done if I get suggestions from you guys. Now getting to our next guest, many people have a very big misunderstanding when it comes to mental health. They only talk about it when they feel or when they don't feel good or something drastic happens in their life. Well, Arina Parashiv is looking to change that. Arina is a very passionate psychotherapist who recently launched Asetivo an online tool that can help prevent clinical disorders. This was a very insightful conversation as we discussed the increase of clients she is starting to see, not just high-level executives, but more and more 30-something managers from all kinds of backgrounds. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, everyone. My guest today is emotional health specialist and co-founder of Assertivo, Arina Prashiv. Hi, Arina. Welcome to the show. Hi, Eric. Very nice to be here. Thank you. Yeah, so happy to have you here. I thought we'd start off with a few fun questions, mm. just so that I can get to know you better, the audience can get to know you better. Here's the first one. Sure. Okay. If you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would you live? Anywhere in the world for a year. Man, that's. I think I have different answers for that, depending on my mood, maybe. <laughs> 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 so right now I'm after a few, I think, busy years. So I think that if I were to, to choose a place to live next year, it would be Greece. Okay. I think in my mind, Greece is so mild and very low pace and very good food and sun and worryless. Yeah. I think that would be that would be a thing. But other than that, I think my choice would be very conventional. I think it would be the Netherlands. The and it's very part the okay. Netherlands, yeah. I, I love their culture. I love their cities. I don't like the weather because <laughs> Greece earlier. Yeah, yeah two opposites. <laughs> That's why, yeah, yeah, opposites. But uh, I think it's a very entrepreneur mindset everywhere. Uh-huh. I think it's very action oriented, but still a place where you can and that, that I think encourages a slow pacing. Yeah, and a lot of bicycles there. A lot of bicycles, yeah. <laughs> and a lot of fish. So if you think, see that the common denominator is water and fish. <laughs> I see. Yeah, and seafood, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I haven't been to Greece yet, but I, I do plan on going now that I'm here in Romania yeah. and it's much closer. Yeah. Maybe next year. Definitely. Okay. Second yeah, question. What celebrity would you be super nervous to meet? Celebrity I would be super nervous to meet. Oh my God. Yeah. Living or dead. Living or dead. I think Oliver Sacks, 
Oliver Sacks is famous neurologist. I think he he was the one that he was really unconventional as a neurologist, as a scientist. He actually really wanted to be a scientist, but he didn't have the structure for it. Uh. So he became a, a science storyteller. And I think I would be really nervous to meet him because he lived the life that I admire. He was always on the move. He was always doing things. He, he would alternate periods of very deep focus in writing his books and seeing patients and a very keen interest in patients on a human level, not only a clinical level. And I think, yeah, I would be really uh, nervous to meet him. He died a few years ago, so that's why I said living or dead, yeah. (laughs) Okay, last question. If you were famous for something else, what would you be famous for, Edina? Man, I have so many answers in my head right now. I have to choose a very podcast appropriate one. <laughs> what I would be famous for? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. For telling other people what to do. <laughs> I don't know. It's the first thing that came into my mind. I, I have no idea what I would be famous for. I've never done anything else other than therapy in my life with so much passion. I can't imagine. The first thing else. I thought of when you mm-hmm. said that was trying to imagine you as a drill sergeant holding a whistle <laughs> in your mouth and blowing the whistle and saying, move it. <laughs> move it, yeah, something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Hopefully when your patients come to visit you, that's not, uh, that's not how you treat them, right? <laughs> I don't know. It's really very different. <laughs> yeah, therapy is really different from that. Okay, let's dive into your background a little bit. Tell me about university. Sure. What did you decide to study? I, I settled for psychology when I was 14, I think. In high school, I think I came um, across a book of therapy. It wasn't Freud. It was something else. I, I, I tried to read a few Freud books. I didn't quite get them. They, they seemed a bit too literary for me. I think it was something, uh, a book. I don't quite remember which one, but it was a cognitive behavioral textbook. And I thought it was so uh, structured and so clear and so actionable. And I said, this is what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a therapist. I'm going to be a cognitive behavioral therapist. And I had no idea what that meant, of course. I was 14, barely in (laughs) high school, 15, I think. So that's when I, I decided to do that. My parents, who are engineers, all my blood relative fam- blood relatives are engineers of some sort. They said, psychotherapy, no, you're going to die. You're going to go hungry. You're never going to do anything with it. Uh-huh. But I stuck to my guns and I uh, went to psychology in Bucharest. I actually wanted in Cluj, but I went to Bucharest. I don't regret it uh, now that I see this in hindsight. And yes, I studied psychology in Bucharest. And then I went to Cluj to do my master's degree in, of course, cognitive behavioral uh, therapy because I stuck to my guns. I said, yo, I'm going to do that. And it was actually one of the best learning experiences of my life in Cluj. I think it's one of the best schools in this part of Europe who teaches cognitive behavioral therapy. And I learned the science, the evidence-based science behind therapy. And it was a very good learning experience. I will always be grateful to the teachers and professors there. Yeah. Great. And after university, what role did you take in terms of occupation? What was the first role? I went to therapy altogether because actually I worked my background. If you look at my resume, you'll see an advertising agency. And I worked in advertising agency in Bucharest as part-time when I went to university and in my master's degree. 
because that's what I could afford. And it uh, in psychotherapy, you need to go all through all the training until you get the, the certification to, to practice as a therapist. So I had to, I couldn't begin sooner, so to speak. I actually began, I cheated a little bit. I began a little bit sooner. After my first year of master's degree, I could have see some clients and I started doing that pro bono and it was a really good experience because I, I, I got to practice all my skills that I did not have. I actually <laughs> started to gain the skills. I only read about them, but doing them in practice, man, I thought it was so difficult. I didn't know how people could do juggling all the things at the same time in one session and at the same time looking professional and inspiring trust and everything else. And it was like, oh my. But when I got my uh, certification, I actually resigned and I just went blank. I was 24 at the time, so I didn't have any much to lose. It was like, I, I remember that I was really happy when I got my second client because my first client was a pro bono. And I actually paid the the office where I did my session. I came once a week. I paid, I think, 30 lei for the session. And from my own pocket, I did the session. I went home. And when I had uh, two clients, the second one was a paying customer, was a paying client. And I charged her, I think, 65 lei. So I paid two hours of the practice. It was 60 lei. And my bus ride, which was, I think, two lei. And I had a profit of two lei. And I was so happy. <laughs> I was like, I'm not losing money. So that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think that this is how we, we, just, we just, I started to, to do this. But it was a really, I remember that it was a very learning intensive period for me because when I did not see the two clients that I had, I was reading a lot. I was researching a lot. I was doing diagrams and worksheets and everything. I was translating them from English books to use them with my clients. And I really learned a lot. I, I remember I, I actually tried everything. Uh, I, I used to practice all my skills with these clients and it helped me a lot. It really okay. helped me a lot. Yeah. After you've been doing this, let's say mm -hmm. a couple of years, and I'm assuming that you got a few more clients. <laughs> Thankfully, yes, you're, I did. You're bringing home more than two, Lay. <laughs> yeah. What does the average day-to-day -day look like for a licensed psychotherapist? What does your average day look like? It, it's very different now uh, than it was a few years ago because afterwards, after I started the Tule uh, business, I started getting more and more clients. I actually started to do a collaboration with a private clinic and that helped me a lot to be in contact with other senior therapists and learn from them. And then my days started to look like more and more clients. I actually, at one point or actually several years of my career, I, I saw between five and seven clients a day including weekends. And then I started to cut down because I noticed uh, the burnout. Yeah, I, I wasn't engaged anymore. And I started to cut down first the Saturdays, then the late in the evening sessions. But for quite a few years, it were it, there were five to seven clients a day, mostly anxiety, panic attacks, depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, clinical cases, most of the times. So these were my days. And okay. in between conferences, reading, worksheets, case uh, summaries, and so on. So yeah. all the therapists work. Yeah. It was insane. Now I look at it in, in, uh, in the back. I didn't know how I could do it because right now my days are very different. I don't see more than 15 clients a week. I actually put a cap to that as opposed to, I don't know, almost 30. So it was half the time. But my circumstances, my context and my, of course, objectives have priorities have changed drastically in the past uh, four years. And I think in 2019, 
EMBA came into my life, so to speak, and that changed everything, actually. That changed the, the game altogether. Because I actually thought that at, at some point, I love seeing clients. I, love, I still love seeing clients. I like the dynamics of it. I like the challenge of it. I like learning a lot from my clients. But then my partner started to do an EMBA. And I always thought about it would be really cool to do that. But I always thought EMBAs are, I don't know, for bankers or for... Not for me, not for therapists. Lots of finance, lots of economics, whatever. And then he started talking and we started talking about what the classes were there, what the, I don't know, atmosphere, what the vibe was there. I was like, hey, this should be interesting. And I got to thinking, what if I do something like that? And because I, I, I thought, I, I felt a bit kept. I don't know how to explain this. I felt that it was, I, I didn't know where to go from there. I was 30, I think, almost 30. But, but you're doing what you love, yeah. though. You're doing what you love, what I you am, imagine as a kid, but you felt like there was something missing. Yeah, okay. it was something missing. And it was really hard. And it took me a while because sometimes I always, I almost felt ungrateful. Something like, I always wanted to do this. It's something that most people find very difficult to do. And I actually managed to live and to live well when doing therapy, doing what I learned, doing what I love. I didn't feel like work. I didn't actually feel like work until one point when it started to feel like work, but not in the good sense, but it actually in the bad sense, in the sense that I felt like it was hard for me to, to do something more. I wanted to do something more. I didn't know what more, but something more. And that's when I started to, to look for something else. Yeah. So you, you looked for an EMBA program. and um... Yes, I didn't actually look for it. It found me. <laughs> so it was really <laughs> simple. Yeah. <laughs> so how long was that program? Was it a year? Was it two years? Uh, it was two years. Two years, uh, almost full-time. I don't know how they say, but it was full-time. We, I went to class for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every two weeks for two years almost. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And was yeah. it during that time that sparked the idea of perhaps creating a business? It definitely was. Assertivo would not be here without the MBA. That is, is certain. I think it were there were many factors that contributed to this. One of them was that previously my collaboration was with an online platform of therapy in Romania. They work mostly with clinical cases or 100% with clinical cases. And I thought, hey, what if we did that, but for people who are not clinical yet, because mental health is on a spectrum, so you don't need to get to anxiety to get help. That was one factor. The other factor was that I started to see more and more clients with panic attacks, anxiety, performance anxiety, social anxiety, all sprung from the workplace. Yeah, People who were burned out in the workplace, who developed anxiety or depression, came to therapy and actually changed their course of career, maybe gave up or take took long leaves of absences, some never returned or sought other positions who were more or less demanding for them. And I thought, hey, that all these people could prevent this. We actually could prevent this. It's not that complicated. It's not that difficult to do. So that was another thing. And the third factor was, like you said, the EMBA and the fact that everything changed. It, it, what I went uh, through was a very entrepreneurial EMBA, entrepreneurial-led MBA, and it changed the mindset for me. It was I was an entrepreneur because I was a freelancer, of course, but it's not the type of entrepreneur that we that I met since and it actually changed the game for me I cannot see myself employed somewhere I cannot see myself working 
for someone else. And not because there's something wrong with that, but because I think that I have what it takes to, to do something and to build something with other people. And so I think these three factors contributed really much to, to my decision at that point. And I still feel a bit of, am I doing the right thing? Am I it's constant. <laughs> but it's, I think it's natural. I just thank my mind for this thought and said, okay, thank you, mind, for reminding me. I just carry on with my day. So yeah. it's a work in progress. Yeah. So, Edina, you mentioned that you're seeing a lot of people from the workforce. More mm-hmm. and more people or more clients that are experiencing panic attacks, <clears throat> uh, anxiety, stress. Now, is there a certain age group? Like, is the majority of these people between the ages of, let's say, 25 and 35, or 36 and 45, or older than 45? Like, what age group is this? I think it's mostly 30s. Okay. Mostly 30s, maybe late 20s, early 30s, uh, up until I was 36, 37. All, age, all, uh, all uh, genders, from, mostly from banking from IT, mostly from banking. I said that twice. I'm glad I didn't go in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I think it's, yeah. So this is the age, the question. 30s, late 20s and 30s, most most of them. And very, at the beginning, a few, maybe seven years ago, I used to see many top management or managers, but now I'm seeing not managers or middle managers or even lower than that. So it's spreading my Conclusion is that the the problems are sp- spreading, so to speak. Yeah. Wow. Okay, that's unfortunate. But tell us more about what Assertivo, the name mm-hmm. of the, the startup that you recently launched. What are you looking to solve? What is the, the vision for it? I think that big, what, I, what I've seen very much in my practice and talking to people and reading about this is that many people have a very biased view on mental health. I think the first thing that came into my mind that I actually looked for this, if you type in Google Images physical health, you'll see people images of people who are healthy and doing sports and jogging and so on. If you type mental health, you will see people, pictures of people who are depressed. And this is really crazy, I can say, because they actually refer to the same thing, to what works, not what doesn't work. Yeah, mental health refers to what works in the emotional and mental health of a person, just like physical health refers to what works when bodies work well. And I think that people have a very big misunderstanding on this. They think that mental health is something bad. It's something that you only talk about it when you don't feel good or you have negative emotions, you have negative interactions and so on and so forth. So what I'm seeing is that we developed an emotional perfectionism, I call it. I don't know if it's the right I'm sure it's not only me who says this, but I, I think this is the term. It's like the, the rule, the rigid rule that we should have positive emotions, that we should feel good, if not happy, that if I feel physical uh, sensations with negative emotions, that's a bad sign. So we developed all kinds of strategies to overwork that. I don't know, maybe positive affirmations, maybe just getting on with my day and not thinking about it or exercising a lot or I don't know, stuff like that, up until to negative uh, reactions such as, I don't know, drinking, drugs, compulsive something and so on and so forth. To answer your question, what I want through Assertivo, because it's not a tool that treats clinical disorders, it's a tool that prevents and then does what we call education in psycho- psychology it's called it's very didactical it's very it, we're not using this in marketing because people don't respond well uh, to the educational part but 
what I want is to show people that mental health is not actually that invisible. You're, we're just not trained to look for it. Mm-hmm. And that you can learn to be more self-aware, to have rich and meaningful life, like we call it in psychotherapy, by developing some emotional skills, just like you're building any skill. Yeah, it's not something that you should only do when you're feeling bad or you have depression. You don't have to wait until you cannot uh, sleep anymore or you just yell at your children every day or yell at your boss every day to go to therapy or to do something about it. You can learn to recognize the smaller signs. You can learn to intervene. And these are really simple things that you can do. What are some signs that people often miss? Sleeping, that is one. That mm-hmm. is, yeah, impaired sleeping. I, I think I'm, I, I had just a quick parenthesis of this. I used to think that I sleep very well until I got an Apple Watch. And then I learned that I, I'm actually having a bit of problem sleeping because my tracks are all over the place. So it shows that I'm not having a really healthy sleep. So Mine it's, too. I'm going to do something about it. Yeah. Mine too. I'm so envious of my wife because one time we used this application on a mobile phone that tracked how you're mm-hmm. sleeping. She sleeps so well, so peacefully. Mm-hmm. The, the, the things are not all over the chart. And she could sleep easily 10 hours. <laughs> Myself. Yep. I'm lucky if I get seven hours and it's really bad and it's really Mm. awful to sleep. I wish I could sleep well. So maybe I should see you for therapy and see if there's some solution to my problem. But that is the one thing that I'm guilty of is not getting good sleep. Yeah. So one is sleep. The other one is getting irritable at some points, getting irritable, being or developing. I think that one one thing that people often miss and it's really it's really important to see are the physical signs. Yeah. The fact that I start to feel, I don't know, tingling in my breath or hard breathing or I feel nervousness in my muscles or in my body. I'm having trouble to keep my my attention on one thing. I tend when I'm at work. I go from one thing to another. It's not because I'm busy, it's because I can't keep my attention right to a point. I engage in so all, all sorts of, of compulsive or distracting activities, such as binging Netflix or shows in the evening or gaming yeah, in the evening as a way to, I don't know, screen everything out. Yeah, And in, instead of doing things that could be more productive and more satisfying to me, such as seeing friends or reading a book or listening to Innovators Have Fun podcasts, these are the few things that come into mind. Oh, negative feelings such as guilt or shame that I feel often, Yeah, the need to isolate myself, the fact that sometimes I don't have the patience. Uh, for things that I used to have. I cannot play with my children anymore. I don't have, even though I love them, I want to do this, of course, but I don't feel like I have the patience to do this. So these are the first things just top of mind and are really subtle signs, I think, subtle signs. And it's, it's something like the broken window theory in the, I don't know, 80s, I think. It's something like that. Yeah, You have a building, one day a, a window breaks, nobody does something about it. The next day, another window breaks and so on and so forth. And in one month's time, the building is totally abandoned and we have, I don't know, how do you call that? It's something like that. Yeah, you miss the small things and you get to a bigger thing. It was like New York City in the 80s, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Irina, what is the one key takeaway that you want to make sure that the audience gets about Asertivo, what you're looking to do, everything that you shared today, 
This is a really hard question. I'm a therapist. I'm used to narratives. Yeah, I, I <laughs> tell stories. I, I talk a lot. No, but I think that if I want people to go with with one idea, is that mental health is far from Freud's couch right now, and it's really easy. It's on a spectrum, and it's really easy to intervene in very small steps and skill. Not every day, but every two days, every weekly. If you do something about it, your life will be rich and meaningful more rich and more meaningful yeah good this is i think a takeaway it's really simple it's, it's nothing too complicated everybody can can I, I know i sound like teleshopping in the 80s or 90s <laughs> but it is like that yeah it, it's not difficult it's not something that you have to roll your sleeves and go to therapy and spend a whole lot of money and talk about your childhood it's something small stuff that you can do every day and this is what assertivo is it's not sitting on a couch virtually it's just small Small wins, small mm -hmm. takeaways, small skills that you can do every day to make your uh, emotional life better. Good to hear. Wonderful. Irene, thank you so much for being on Innovators Can Laugh. And for everybody else, until next week, this is Eric Melcher saying goodbye and la revedere. Thank you, Eric. Bye. Thank you all for listening. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, I'd really appreciate it if, if you could give us a review and a star rating on Spotify or Apple. Also, sign up for the Innovators Can Laugh newsletter at innovatorscanlaugh.com where you can get our newsletter and details about each guest. Thanks.